Welcome to the Unified Brand Podcast, brought to you by Elements Brand Management, a weekly podcast to empower founders, marketers, and business professionals to brand smarter, not harder, and build impactful, memorable, and differentiated brands that stand out from the competition. So today we're joined by Freddie Ost, founder of Snask, an internationally renowned creative agency that makes kick-ass branding, design, and film. Great to have you on the Unified Brand Podcast, Freddie. It'd be good to learn a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Hey, uh, Chris, thank you so much. Super happy to be on the show. What I do, I, I don't even know what I do anymore. I mean, I'm the founder of Snask, uh, which is uh, the design branding and film agency. I would call myself a brand director. That means I do a lot of brand strategy, etc. used to study graphic design, and that was what I think I became. And then I realized, quickly realized after starting our own agency, that was like, wait a minute, there are so many better graphic designers out there. So maybe I should just like, take a ride in the back seat here and bring in the best people that I know of. So what I do during the days is basically having meetings and emailing. So that's how sexy that that sounds. <laughs> what do you do, Chris? Yeah, so similar kind of thing. So we're a brand strategy design and marketing agency. And uh, yeah, you sort of tend to do that, don't you? You sort of take more and more of a backseat as the company grows and you kind of become more of a orchestrator, a conductor of an orchestra as opposed to being part of the orchestra. So yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. So from your point of view, where did the love of like creativity, branding and design, where did that come from? I mean, I was studying uh, psychology, rhetorics and media communication at the university in Sweden. And uh, me and my friends thought it was more fun to start a nightclub where we booked bands and played records, basically. Uh, so that's what was our main focus instead of getting educated. And uh, I started doing flyers and websites for our club. And that led me into design. And then some years down the line, I found myself in Carlisle, of all places. Uh, and uh, I studied graphic design there for three years at Cambria Institute of the Arts. And I think that's where my real passion for graphic design was found in the UK, where I think it has a more prominent position than in Sweden. Seeing it in music on record sleeves from Peter Saville, for example, or book covers, theater posters. I mean, culture for me is where I, f- I think I found my passion for graphic design. How about you? Yeah, similar to be honest. I mean, when I was younger, I always used to enjoy creativity, drawing and art and things like that. But I used to struggle with art because I used to find that art can be anything. And I used to find it hard to just, I needed a brief of some kind, whether I gave myself the brief or a lot of times I'd bug my mom and say like, what can I design? What can I design? And she'd say something like, oh, design me a pair of trainers or design this new machine that can do this. So I'd go away and do that. And I kind of started my love of design. So yeah, similar to you, then I'd sort of got into graphic design into marketing, into digital, and kind of, I think brand is interesting because it's a mix of a lot of different things from design to strategy to marketing to even a bit of, I love mythology. You can kind of bring that into it and archetypes and those sort of things. So it's pop culture as well. So yeah, I love it because it brings everything together. Yeah, I saw that you recently did something with the hives. Yeah. Is music a massive thing for you? Is that something that helps you to be be creative, but also is it something that's a passion of yours? I think what helps me to be creative or everyone, it's not because it's not just me. I think everyone here is about everyday life, pop culture, watching a shitty documentary, uh, see what they say, soap opera or whatever, Love is Blind or whatever there is, or a good film or reading a book or hanging out with our loved ones or best friends or family. That kind of gives us inspiration. Politics gives us inspiration and creativity. That's where we find our inspiration daily. It's what fuels us instead of looking at trends. That's what fuels us. So, of course, since we're, we all come from music, especially me and Eric, my partner in crime, 
he's the old rock star drummer who used to tour Europe in bands and uh, I was always like trying to be good at music but I wasn't but I was had the interest so so I think we both come from music and so we love that and yeah so Eric just directed the new Hives single that came out it was like their first album in like more than a decade so it was super fun and I liked the video because it says has a lot of snask story and values in it it's about corporate executives being afraid of the revolution that's happening on the lower floors of the people and we found actual uh, financial corporate executives of real companies like big shots in Sweden that played the band in the video and then in the end a band like Hives comes in and kicks them out and finishes the song so that's really cool. It's funny as well because over the last couple of weeks, I've actually had I heard it somewhere, and I've had that. The, I hate to say I told you so. So it's been ringing around my head for a couple of weeks now. I heard it a couple of weeks ago. It's kind of it's really interesting. Yeah, that sort of you know working with the hives and things like that. And yeah, it must have been really cool. And I like the idea of the rebellious kind of that revolution idea. I think especially with music, you get that. I'm a big music lover myself, and my kind of genres to go to are kind of rock and punk and things like that, which do have that spirit. What's your go-to music when you're being creative? Do you have one or do you have multiple? Oh my God, this is going to sound horrible, but my go-to music when I'm being creative is actually, well, it depends on if I have to write something, I can't listen to lyrics at all. Yeah. And then my mind starts listening to what it says. So I have to have instrumental music. So either a classical, and that's the good part, I'll tell you. Uh, the worst part is I had a period when I will for many years just listen to white noise. Wow. So it was just like an album of white noise and I would put it on pretty high in my headphones and I just listen to that. And then when I looked at my Spotify yearly, like this is what you've been listening to this year. I was like, okay, this is sad. Like this is really, really sad. So I stopped doing that and just started to listening to well, like positive classic piano which is like any Hollywood movie that is not, uh, what do you say, very horrible, is normally like that. That's my inspiration when I work. What about you? Yeah, so it's similar to you. If, if I'm writing anything, I find it tricky to concentrate. So I have to have something like, say, classical or some kind of soundscape. So I've got like those kind of like woodland sounds and water dripping and stuff like that. I like that. But I found I'm a really big fan of Tool, the band Tool. Mm, yeah. There's an orchestral versions of Tool that I found. They're really good because they have that triumphant feeling, but they are orchestral, so you don't get any of the vocals and it's not so aggressive and heavy. It's quite flowing, which is really good. Yeah, for me, M83, Sigurros, all of those are like, also, of course, it's nice. Yes. But as I said, I think I need a mat of like sound and that can help me, but no, yeah, no lyrics. What's your favorite type of project to work on? Do you have a favorite and what's your creative process? I've, I've seen your work. I think it's awesome. I just, I'd love to get inside kind of the creative process of how you generate the ideas, where they come from and the almost juxtaposition of some of the stuff you do. I, I quite like that. Thank you so much. That makes me very happy. It depends on, I mean, we did the Malmö Festival 2014, which is an old project, but it still makes me very happy. I think it's nine years ago now. and. Uh, we were basically doing an identity for a city festival in Sweden, right? And instead we asked them, because we've been working for three years already or four years with them, and we asked them, like, can we make something else? Like, why not make the biggest poster ever been? And then we turn it into an area. Maybe you have a budget for an area that you don't know what to do with. And they were like, well, we actually do. So we took that budget and we built a huge area that we then went up in the air 30 meters and shot it from above. And that was the poster. So it was a typographic composition that was 
13 meters long and nine meters wide. And then we positioned that out again three months later on the festival and became an area that people could climb around on this typography. So of course, that's like the super orgasm for an orographic designer to see your design physical and people can climb around on it. That's like, oh, that's like amazing. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, we made this typographic solution that ended up being an app. That's like, it's fun, but touching your design is something else. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So with the brainstorming process and kind of the process you use, where do you start and what kind of steps do you take to generate that creativity? It's release and branding. Everything comes from strategy, right? So we first try and push the client a lot to get them out of the comfort zone, point out the direction that is hopefully more bold and more modern, a bit more expressive if they are not expressive enough already. And really trying to make them understand that this is not going to end up being crazy or provocative. It's just going to be nicer, more modern, more fun. We try to always make the metaphor of a person that is classic and easy, but it makes the client more self, what do you say? It's make it easier for them to understand branding, but also more self-critical. So we would be like, oh, so if your brand today would be a person, would you date that person or would you bring them along to a fun party with only fun people or and most of the time say no i would never or no why would we do that or etc and or if you would share a beer in a bar with this person that is your brand would you go into a deep conversation and what would be the topics and would you only stand and talk about the product or is there anything else behind there and then you quickly like oh you get them to kind of answer their own question that is like oh we need to be more interesting our personality need to be more interesting it's not only about the color, a logo, etc. It's also about the messaging, the tone of voice. I mean, an IT guy can ask a person in a bar like, hey, would you like a drink? And that's one way of saying it. Or Freddie Mercury would say like, hey, darling, you look like you need a gin and tonic. I already ordered you one. Oh, you know, there are many ways of saying the same thing in words as well as tone. And I think that's very important for us when it comes to the design because it kind of guides the design into like so then turning that strategy into design we use visual keywords so for example if it's charming then we might turn it into playful uh, and then showing this is what we mean with playful and this is what we don't mean with playful and then kind of like funneling them down taking their hand leading them down this narrow tunnel until we end up somewhere nice yeah that's cool i had a client recently where we were talking about the point of view of kind of like the jester archetype and we were sort of we dove a bit deeper into sort of some of the sub archetypes underneath it and we were sort of like yeah not the provocateur but definitely the entertainer part of the entertainer in there and we kind of put together this thing of similar to what you said there kind of what they were trying to do is develop this experience of kind of a restaurant experience it was kind of towards Heston Blumenthal but not quite as scientific and sort of cold as Heston and on the other side like Willy Wonka, but not as quite as maniacal and childlike as Willy Wonka. So it was kind of trying to create that balance in the middle, like you said, not this, that, to create that experience so that it hit all those marks and still had that playfulness, that fun, but in a more experiential way. So yeah, I totally resonate with that. So with that, what do you think most people, because you're right, most people don't fully get brand and you have to explain it in a way that they can understand. Why do you think that is? And do you think that there's a problem with the word brand? The problem with the word brand is that people misunderstand it with company, with so many other things, marketing, etc. And 
also they misunderstand it with the logotype or things like that or the visual identity or and i mean that's one thing that makes it harder of course the name but also i think people are not educated in it people don't really know about it and there are not like branding departments at companies it's only marketing and marketing is so heavily linked with sales and today i mean it's over the top it's like every marketing activity has to be connected directly to a sales pattern whatever which is as far away from branding as you can get uh, once branding is like building something long term building a reputation on likability something people want to be part of and so they don't need to see an ad because when you go to the supermarket or wherever and need something a product or a service that brand that you like should be top of mind and that's branding and i think that's hard for people to understand because working on the client side you are like oh you're part of the marketing team and then you should do marketing and that means you have sales where you need to report to the sales people or the CFO like oh how's the marketing going doesn't mean how's the branding going how's marketing going means can you show me how much we have to sell based on like the return of, of ad spend or whatever stupid things like that which is like i mean today is hygiene i think to have ads that people click and buy sure but that's not even marketing today i think that's just another way of selling stuff because no one is convinced of seeing an ad hey hey chris here's a pair of sneakers and you were like oh nice you click and you buy them that's so seldom that that happens so it's like in a way it's just like okay that's a way of selling things but it's not even marketing to me anymore it's just like ah yeah definitely and you see that sort of there's more and more people that are becoming like you said like technical marketers a kind of technical side and, and there's less on the creative side i think you're right i think it's like a, it was it martin emire in, in one of his books he talks about cbo's having chief brand officers there should be a role for it at the table you know there should be someone there that's kind of guiding that part of the ship because people can get lost pretty quickly if they don't have somebody in that sort of part of that discussion i think and do you see that a lot with the clients you work with that they've kind of veered off course quite drastically if they haven't got somebody to help them in that sort of creative strategic position definitely i have a good example shoe one of the you know in uk you have this shoe store and shoe brand called shoe spelt very german they were drifting they were bought up by an american company they suddenly got like they had to hit numbers etc so without thinking about it they started to take in sketchers selling sketchers shoes suddenly they sold like crocs their numbers of course went up because oh they sell crocs now but they didn't no one was no one was cbo no one was like what does this entail in the long run when it comes to our brand because marketing wouldn't see it as you, as you say as well they don't have that view they only see marketing right now like and so when we came in we were like but this is so clear to us what happened you basically let your brand drift in a current of sales so wherever sales were your brand kind of drifted and now adidas and nike suddenly don't want to sell their coolest sneakers for you to sell and when you ask them we can only guess but they might say that you dilute their brand and they were like yeah how did you know that and it's like well it's kind of obvious and what we did was basically bring them back and point out this direction and they stopped selling these shoes and it's just like someone should have done that before a cbo should have been like yes i understand that we will sell more if we bring in crocs but in the long run it will take us away we will deviate from the path where we should be which should be a lifestyle brand 
And that's a clear example when that went wrong. Are you struggling to grow your brand but not sure why? Has your business hit a growth ceiling or is your marketing failing to land with your target audience? At Elements Brand Management, we've put together a four minute brand power assessment that will score your brand in a percentage out of 100 and highlight the key areas that are holding your business back. Visit brandpowerscore.co.uk today, take the assessment and unlock your business's full potential. Yeah, that sort of dichotomy between short-term gain and long-term harm. Yeah, definitely. We had a client that was kind of in one space and they wanted to, I'm going to shift it up a bit for the client's sake, but it was kind of, you imagine the relationship between skiers and snowboarders. And if you had a brand that was directly completely just at snowboarders and the way that that would talk to them and be around them and kind of, it's getting better, obviously, the relationship between the two, but that kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to break into skiing, but their existing audience was already snowboarders and they've been talking to them. And it was kind of short term, it would have made a little bit of sense, but long term, it wouldn't have made so much sense. But it, it wasn't skiing and snowboarding. It was a different industry. But that kind of idea of where you have that audience that are so niche and, and kind of specific or a tribe that you have and then trying to break into something else at the cost of the brand. Yeah, I've seen that a few times. And do you think then that the solution for that a lot of the times is kind of recentering the organization to remember who they are, what makes them unique, or is it then moving that forward into a new direction as well? I think the process answers that question. So we would first go in and gather like the key stakeholders or the decision makers in the room. And we ask them to fill out like, what is your brand today? What is it today? And then ask them a second question. What would you want it to be? And then everyone would work and fill out that. And then they think, oh, this is done now. And then we would ask the third question, oh, what should you be? Hmm. If you don't care about what you want and what you are today, to the person on the street buying your whatever it is, what should you be to them? And that's branding. That's what branding is. That's every celebrity is not themselves entirely in every interview or on stage. They are a brand. They are someone that they like, okay, this is who I portray to everyone else, but they don't see me crying on backstage, etc. which is fine, but there's also branding. It's good to make that exercise sometimes. What are we? What do we want to be, but what should we be? And if you end up at the same place that you are today, well, perfect, but most people, most brands don't, and we know that change is inevitable, so it's just... What's your favorite part of the process? I mean, you obviously work a lot with video and brand identity, but what's your favorite part of the process? My favorite part is convincing the client in the beginning, the first three meetings, and that includes the workshop where we basically start off and where we push them quite hard. I think those are my favorite parts. But it's also because of my role as brand director, but also it's where I think the younger version of me five years into my career was very insecure and I had a lot of imposter syndrome and I thought, fuck, soon someone is going to call my bluff and realize I'm not sure about anything and that I don't know about anything. I think nowadays I feel very confident and I do know stuff and I know that a lot of people, clients, they act grown up in meetings and they just say stuff because they want to say something and to to take those words now and be able to guide them in the right direction instead is kind of fulfilling because I know that the project could have gone south many times if a decision maker's word would be set in stone. It's like, oh, I asked my husband and wife last night. Uh, he or she doesn't like green. Oh, okay, first question. 
should we have your husband or wife here instead of you? No. Okay, but he or she isn't an expert in branding. No. So then we might as well ask someone on the street and have them decide everything. No. Okay, but good. Then we have that clear. Secondly, green. Green doesn't, doesn't matter in branding because green doesn't mean anything. It's very subjective in every situation. But say, yeah, but green means grass and we're an ecological company. Yes, that's true. But green also means marijuana and it also means being green of envy. So, I mean, it's in every situation, green can mean so many different things. So, so yes, it's a beautiful color, but we can't like put all these attributes to a color. No, as long as it doesn't look like any of your competitors, great. But other than that, it's basically as bullshit to start talking about it. It's kind of fulfilling to just be able to take, and they get happy. They don't get angry with me or something like that. They just like, oh, nice. Then I understand. It's nice to take them by the hand and like lead them through the process. And as soon as they have any question or doubts, you just answer it. And I think that's my favorite. What about you? Yeah, well, just on that, I think you're right. It's the change, isn't it? It's the change part, the resistance to change. And then they question and they ask people, like you said, who are close to them. It's that reluctance to change. And like you said, if you can help them guide them through that process, it kind of takes them over that threshold almost to accept it. And I've seen it in kind of strategy sessions where you have a group of people around a table. It can sometimes get quite heated. There'd be people who are on different sides of the equation. But then there's a point when everyone gets on the same page and the room kind of quietens and you know, right, okay, now we're in agreement. We understand we're all in the same page. And it's a really cool feeling to have. It's really good when that happens. And I think similar to you, I like the first few parts, especially compared to all of it. I like, but the first few parts is where the creativity starts to really kick in. When you've had that first session, ideas start flowing. I think that really starts to, you start to envisage what it could be and you start to understand where they're coming from, who they're trying to reach and, and those things start to piece together. I really find that exciting. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Cool. So in terms of misconceptions with the whole process, the way you work, what are some of the biggest misconceptions you see around branding, but also the use of the importance of creativity in your business? Since people don't fully grasp on the client side what branding means and what it is, a huge misconception is that it means bigger revenue next year, which is like, no, it's a long term thing. Branding is the staircase. Your ads, yeah, they are the fast money, but they start walking in that staircase as soon as we build it. And that way, your revenue stream might get bigger because we're building a brand at the same time. But that's a huge misconception when a marketing manager comes and they're like, yeah, but I need to show my boss that this brings in money or whatever. And then we're like, okay, but let us do, we can do a lecture for your the board or the leadership group or whatever about branding and what it means and why it's important and why it's an investment. And if you don't do it, then you will definitely not be a good brand. And that's what you valued as today. It's like being a brand. Sometimes we get to do those presentations, which is super nice because we know that we help the him or she, like who is our client to be able to put more money on their budget into branding and building something that people feels for instead of just having like product rational benefits all the time yeah definitely so what are some tips that you could give some of the listeners in terms of they could think about or look at to reimagine their brand or to yeah just kind of give it a bit of a creative spark a bit of an ignition what they're doing well first step is realizing that change is inevitable and we have to all change as persons as well as companies as well as brands constantly the world outside the office goes so much faster than inside the office 
So change is always something that this is just like the status quo now and making people realize that. Secondly, make people raise their hand and then you ask like, who won't change? And everyone would be like, yes, because you just told us great. Who wants to change? No one. And then make them realize in order to create change, we all have to change. We all each because we are all this company and especially the leadership because it comes from the top and they are normally fat and happy and least likely to want change, to change themselves. They want others to change, but they don't want to change themselves. But making them realize that will tee up for any change project, which is a rebrand, making that like uh, putting us up for success for a rebrand project is if change comes from above. It's like a famous example of the CEO of a company who suddenly changed himself. And then he went in front of the whole company and had a long speech about everything he, all the mistakes that he'd done. And after that, loads of people felt like, oh, that was so nice that you as the leader told us that you make mistakes and failures and told us what you do that is wrong. And that, cause then everyone felt like more human and it actually made the company way better. I think that for me, that would be the best advice because, as I said, it tees up the project and the rebrand for success, making everyone who are key stakeholders understand that change is going to happen. It's going to be painful. We all have to change now, but it's going to be for the better. It's interesting because you said then about, yeah, coming from the top down. I think there was something I saw the other day about leadership, almost the idea of you get what you give. And if you expect a certain level of expectations, you receive that the way you kind of present yourself, you interact is what you're going to get back in return. And I like the idea of, like you said there, of the leadership almost being open, honest, authentic, just explain the situation and kind of embodying what they believe and allowing people to have a space to do the same. You mentioned imposter syndrome earlier on, and I just wondered with that, because I've had that before, and I think a lot of people can resonate with that. Do you think that that is something that happens to most creatives at some point? And is it something that is when you're going outside of your comfort zone? sort of stepping outside a little bit. Yes, I mean, definitely. I think every creative person or any person in the whole world, everyone has had imposter syndrome, whether it be at work or privately or in your first or even last relationship or anything. I mean, everyone has it. So I think it's just being genuine enough to accept that, yes, I have imposter syndrome. And then I think that like you only get stronger by being more vulnerable. Even though the macho culture might say the opposite, that, oh, vulnerable means you're weak. It's actually, the truth is the opposite, that the most brave thing and strong thing you can do is probably cry in front of others or be vulnerable or be genuine in a meeting with a client saying, hey, you know what? I don't know that the answer to that question. I'm, I'm going to look it up and I'll get back to you tomorrow. That's vulnerable, but it's also genuine. It's human. And I mean, we work with a lot of banks, financial institutions, etc. And they ask us about trust because they're like, yeah, but we need to be trustworthy as a brand. And then we ask them, but what does trust mean? Is it having suits on? Is it being very stiff in language, being very impersonal, professional? Like, oh, we don't know. It's like, okay, but who do you trust most in your life? My mom, my dad, my sister, my partner, my best friend, etc. Okay. Why do you trust them? Is it because they are professional, walks around in a suit, has a very like neutral language, etc., never gets angry? It's like, no, actually not. It's because I love them. Uh, well, I trust them because they make mistakes. They are very genuine. I don't always like them. They say things that I don't really like all the time. I have conflicts with them. Uh, they are very genuine. They're human. 
And then all of a sudden, when you have that, it's like, so trustworthy as a brand should probably be the opposite of being stiff in a suit, etc. It should probably be genuine, be empathic, be human, make mistakes. Every, all of those things is actually what brands need to do to be more trustworthy. That's a really good point. And there's so many brands that you come across where they, they're scared to make a mistake. Yeah. They're scared to do anything wrong and to be themselves. And I think, yeah, that's a really good point. I think also that companies are people. Without people, the company wouldn't exist. And the people are afraid because they think that they will do something wrong, which means they will get fired or they will get punished or whatever. But I mean, then if you take that one step further, then it has to do with culture. You don't get time or you don't get the support you need or you're not allowed to make mistakes, which is crazy if you think about it, because we're like human apes. We will definitely make mistakes. The question is only how do we handle that and how do we move forward and how can we minimize the biggest mistakes maybe together, stuff like that instead. Yes, I'm a huge um, football fan. And so if you look at the premiership and you look at some teams like, for example, Chelsea, who they want instant results, they don't get the results, the manager's gone. It kind of starts to develop this culture, like you said, of almost there's no patience, there's no leeway. They just want a robot that's going to come in, do the job, get the results and then move on to the next. Whereas I'm an Arsenal fan and obviously Manchester United have done a similar thing previously with Alex Ferguson, giving him time to develop the team, to build that over a period and then with that, they developed an identity and a style and what they were known for. And there's so many teams that have come and gone over the last 10 years. You couldn't name what style they had or who they were. They were just recycled every sort of season. Yeah, I totally can see that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, as a Liverpool fan, I waited 30 years for a win. And the one I got was during pandemic. But I definitely, of course, that's a very clear example with Klopp coming in and suddenly yes. creating a culture and foster a mentality and a morale and like totally different. Or let's take Arteta as an example of Arsenal, where he definitely got the chance because before that it was like, ah, uh, and then in the beginning he was struggling and he was playing around with different kinds of startups, different lineups and fans got angry and like, what is he going to do? What style is he going to play? Why is he changing all the time? Et cetera, et cetera. Suddenly, when everything settled, Arsenal started playing well and everything started to work and all the pieces kind of fit together. And he wouldn't have lasted in Chelsea. Like you said, not at all. It's like no. he would not have gotten that chance. And and I mean, I mean, as you said, with United, they after Alex Ferguson, my God. They went really fast. Everyone was just going to come in and fix everything and be the new Ferguson, but no one got the chance like Alex Ferguson got, which is so unfair in a way. Yeah, and I like what Klopp's done with Liverpool, what Arteta's done with Arsenal in as much as the fans are now completely on site in unison. So you almost have that 12th man kind of analogy and kind of, but it's developing a culture, it's developing understanding and a community feel about the clubs. And I think that's something that shouldn't be overlooked because you find that until you have a settled period with a strong identity that you understand, a style that you can follow and a process that you can see, I think then you get people on side. Whereas if you don't have that and you're constantly chopping and changing, that's when you get that instability and difficulties. Yeah. And I mean, I hate to do it because everyone don't like sports. I'm sorry for any listeners if you don't like sports, but, but yeah. football is kind of easy sometimes. It's like being a brand as a football team it's like everything my girlfriend says like us 
What do you mean, Aster? We we won. You were here. You didn't fucking play in anything. You never almost been to Liverpool. I'm like, yeah, but we won. Some I feel like I'm part of something, yeah. which is so stupid in a way, but it is branding. Yeah, that is real branding. I have no business in Liverpool or why I should support them, but I am, and I feel like I'm part of it, which is like crazy. And I invest a lot of time sitting watching us lose for third 29 years, you know. But it's like it's definitely has to do with branding. If branding wasn't involved and, and the atmosphere and the fans, I mean, then home and away games wouldn't exist. It doesn't it wouldn't matter if you play home or away, or it's like when the entire audience or like people beside the pitch kind of lift the team and they win because of that. That's crazy to see. And it's like us working with branding, we're like, but that's what we do. We love to build lifestyle and want people to feel like they're part of a brand. And you don't do that by just shoving a product up their face and giving them a price. That's like not at all how you build brands. I love that because I think there's many fans around the world that follow a team. And when I was traveling, I was in Australia and I would wake up at like three in the morning and I'd have to like tiptoe down the stairs at the house we were staying at to put the TV on to watch the Arsenal games at like three in the morning. And if they scored, I couldn't shout because I'd wake everyone up. So I had to sort of jump up and just kind of punch the air. Yeah, the dog. And then, yeah, that was kind of my weekends when I was traveling. Like, and it was, uh, but that kind of drive to do that, that drive to do that and to support the team. And like you said, feel part of that tribe. I think it's a really good explainer for what brands can do. So, yeah, on that, what's a brand that's done that to you recently? What's a brand that's really caught you that you love? Mm, good question. I mean, Nike to me is always cool because they take underdog sides or the sides that people, other brands wouldn't want to touch them. Of course, this is uh, obvious, but Patagonia doing things for their own sake and making people, I mean, because people don't buy Patagonia because they are, they are always the best outwear clothes or the most prettiest. It's because you want to be part of Patagonia's brand. You like that brand and that's why you want to be part of it and buy like a Patagonia shirt or something. So I don't know. I think that's, I mean, another thing that I maybe not love it anymore but I'm definitely part of it, whether I like it or not, much like Liverpool or Arsenal, it's Apple. I buy that stupid iPhone every year it comes out and it's never the best phone on the market. It never has the best camera or the best sound or the best whatever, but I buy Apple and that's why I have to buy that, that phone all the time. And it's very clear uh, to me that, yeah, I buy into their brand, the innovation, the, those things, even though Android is definitely on par these days. Yeah, I keep seeing those adverts for um, the Google Pixel phone. I keep thinking it looks like it's got loads of really great features. But again, same with me. I'm always Apple. Always, I've kind of they caught me a while ago, and it's kind of I'm now on that train. If that makes sense, I've kind of yeah, yeah. And it's similar with me. Like when I got a new computer and things like that, it's kind of it's always Apple. I feel comfortable with it, safe with it. It's strange. It makes me feel more creative when I use it. Yeah, it's interesting what brands can do. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. I also like the. The provoking underdog position sometimes if there's a client coming in and has that like you work that out like this is your position it triggers something in me that is i can't really explain but yeah well for reference leicester of course buying maris maris yeah. is too small they said to even play in the scottish second division kantea played in the second french and they were like well on paper, he's the best midfielder in the world, but he can't be because he's so tiny and he plays in the second. I mean, they were all Danny Drinkwater, every one of those players, Jamie Ward, they were like discarded players that no one else wanted. 
and no one ever gave them a chance. And that's why Leicester also is a really cool underdog brand story where they came from nothing and they built a whole group of what you say employees, if you say call them that. They all have been discarded and they got the chance and everyone took it. And I think that's such an amazing story. Sad that they now went down again, but cool that Jamie Vardy went up and down. But yeah. Yeah, Vardy's story is really good, isn't it? From like non-league right the way up to England or whatever. And same with Kante, you know, going from sort of, like you said, lower leagues up to winning the World Cup and all that sort of thing. And being, you know, nominated as, did he win Ballon d'Or? He was one of the best players in the world at one point, wasn't he? Just, it's unbelievable. Really, really cool. Yeah. And how he enters the training facilities the first day and everyone thinks that he's in the youth team because he's so short, cute, and looks like so happy that they were like, he can't possibly be a midfielder in the Premier League. And then, yeah. What's your ultimate goal with SNAS? What do you want to achieve? What's the long-term vision? Wow, it's hard. I mean, we would love to do real change in the world uh, because uh, at the end of the day, I feel this way that if my industry got bombed tomorrow, I think that Sweden as a country would still work the next day. Uh, while as if all hospitals were bombed and all the doctors were killed, I mean, Sweden wouldn't survive that. But my industry kind of, they would. That's why I feel always like we feel with Snask that we want to contribute and make the world a better place as much as we can. And um, I think branding is one of our things that we do, of course, but I don't necessarily think it always makes the world a better place. It helps a company or a brand. Uh, so that's why we try always to do projects that can, on our own, like that isn't a client project, that can somehow make the world a better place, make a statement against racism or extreme right wing or, I don't know, things that we think or support artists, stuff like that. That's something I can't say, uh, like, of course, it would be super fun to brand dictatorship land that just became democracy. Would have been, of course, great because it has flags. It has like so many things, a country, of course. But yeah, what about you? What's your dream project? Yeah, so I mean, it's another kind of thing. I like to get to a point where we're helping to either develop brands that are creating a positive impact or helping businesses that are creating a positive impact. And similarly, like, you work with businesses and you try to help them create the best impact they can within their industry or within a particular niche. But it'd be great to work with some brands that create that sort of ripple effect of an impact. I think all brands have it on smaller levels, but I think doing it on that bigger level, but also developing, like you said, doing projects and developing brands that can do that in different ways, I think would be really cool. Really cool to develop some of our own, own kind of brands. There's a few ideas that we have, but a bit of a way off just yet. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So um, it's been really good having you on. I've had a really good conversation. It's been amazing. And um, yeah, where can people find out a little bit more about yourself, about Snask and some of the other things you've been doing? Likewise, Chris, it's been super fun talking to you. Great topics and dialogue. Snask can be found on www.snask.com and otherwise just on Instagram and basically LinkedIn and Facebook, those places. Cool. I'll put all the links in the show notes and I definitely recommend to check out the website because it is awesome. It's really like once you start going down, looking at the work and stuff, you just keep going. It's really cool. So um, yeah, it's been really good having you on and it'd be good to do, do a follow up maybe later in the year. Yeah, great, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Anytime. Don't forget to subscribe if you've enjoyed this episode of the Unified Brand Podcast. And if you could rate and review wherever you get your podcast, that would be highly appreciated. If you want to continue your brand development journey, head over to Elements Brand Management on YouTube. There's a link in the show notes below where you'll see clips from the podcast, brand building tips, deep dives, and more. 
So thank you for listening and remember, keep those brands unified. Mm-hmm.